This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. Several episodes ago, we spoke with Ward Silver, N0AX, and lo and behold, he's back again. Good morning, Ward. Good morning, Steve. (laughs) You're like the proverbial bad penny. You keep turning up. There you go. Well, you know, it's just um, a busy world, and um, there's a lot to talk about. Yes, there is, and especially so uh, with all the books and articles and everything else that uh, you've written over the years. I think the word prolific was applied to you when I was introducing you the last time, and uh, you have yet another edition, not a new book, but an edition of a very popular book, correct? Yes, uh, the grounding and bonding for the radio amateur has hit the shelves uh, in its second edition. So uh, we've uh, we've updated that book. It's a little thicker and has more goodies in it. Well, before we get into how it is different, I'd like to step back. I'd like to step way back and revisit, for those who may not be familiar, the subject of grounding and bonding itself. Specifically, <laughs> what justifies Ward having a book on this topic for amateur radio? Well, uh, the the history of the book is that my hands-on radio column, The Myth of RF Ground, back in early 2016, I think, sparked more correspondence than any other topic in the 15 years of that column. And I did another couple of columns on it to explore the topic further, and it became clear that there was a huge amount of interest and also misunderstanding of grounding and bonding um, within the ham station, but the information about it was spread out all over the place. Um, You had AC power information, you had lightning management information, you had RF management in your station information, and they were in different books, they were different websites, and so uh, people just didn't get the big picture, and it was clear that we had to bring that information together. Um, Hams have a special challenge in this regard because ham radio covers such an extreme frequency range, uh, literally DC to daylight. And um, all the different bands, the different wavelengths, the different needs that we have for uh, power safety, we've got to deal with lightning, and uh, then we've got all these RF issues. So it's a very uh, demanding and challenging environment in which we work, yet we didn't really have a good go-to resource on the big picture and how to do these things properly, even how to define them. So I remember talking to you about it, said, Steve, we need a book. And uh, you said, yes, we do. And so the grounding and bonding for the radio amateur uh, was launched. Yes, that was back when I was uh, still working at headquarters and when I was in the publications department. I remember that conversation, of course. I also remember talking to other amateurs, and uh, this was before the book project really got underway, and they were skeptical. They were skeptical that a book was necessary or that the book would be 
very successful. But of course, you know, as it turned out, uh, Grounding and Bonding is one of the more uh, popular books that the league has published in several years. Well, that's good. Uh, there's certainly a huge amount of interest in it. And I think if you talk to experts about it, um, they'll tend to think that the subject is pretty well covered within their domain. Uh, but um, when you're talking about the average amateur or somebody who's just starting to learn, um, the subject is not clear at all. And uh, as we found, uh, information was coming from all manner of sources and websites and books and history and studies and all that. And try to boil it down to the point where a person building or maintaining an HF station um, could deal with it was not a simple task. And as it turns out, as you observe, there's just an awful lot of interest. Yes, there is. And in fact, uh, especially among new amateurs, but veterans as well, uh, find that they often (laughs) haven't fully addressed grounding and bonding in their own stations, or actually, more to the point, don't understand why they need to. And why is that? Well, if you can get away without grounding and bonding for a while, and uh, under certain circumstances, simple measures turn out to be adequate. Um, For example, when I got started, I had a a Heathkit transceiver, and I read the necessary handbook and other documents and it said, well, you need a ground rod and you need a ground wire. And I had no idea why, but it seemed important. So I put one on the uh, radio and I connected it to uh, a cold water pipe that went outside and uh, nothing bad happened, but nothing particularly good happened either. (laughs) And uh, I had really no idea what it was for. It's really only as you start getting into multiple pieces of equipment and um, uh, wider ranges of frequencies that suddenly you discover things like hotspots in your station, or um, maybe there's a nearby lightning strike and some equipment is damaged, or um, maybe you start blowing fuses, uh, you know, whatever. These little things build up and up and up and um, to the point where suddenly the old ways don't work quite as well as they used to. And so you take a newfound interest in the subject and find that it's a lot deeper than you thought. So bringing this information together helps people educate themselves and then um, they can go from there to whatever circumstances they have in their particular station. I had to laugh when you were talking about your early days of amateur radio and your experience with ground at that time. I started Prior to amateur radio, I started in what was called shortwave listening. And uh, so this was the oh, late 60s, very early 70s. And I recall the manual that came with the receiver that I was using said, well, of course, you need to have this long wire antenna, but you, you also need to ground. You have to drive a ground rod eight feet into the ground and have this wire connected to it. And I did that. And just like you, I didn't see any noticeable improvement, but I thought, well, they said to do it. It seems important. I guess I should do it. Yep. That's that's basically it. We do it by guess and by golly. And because the the books tell us to, um, and that works for a while, but once you start building up a more sophisticated station uh, or you, you have uh, specific 
uh, needs uh, within the station or your antenna system, then you got to know more about the topic. And that's that's where things start to get off the rails. Or when you experience your first RF nip, when you get too close to the key or microphone and you, you get that painful zap and when you transmit, you have no idea why that happened. It does focus the mind. Yes. <laughs> Who said that? The prospect of being hanged in a fortnight? I that? think something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderfully focuses the mind. Some quote to that effect. But, uh, well, that was one of my first experiences uh, was the RF nip right on the lip. And I thought, mm-hmm. what in the world is going on here? And, of course, I had RF floating around that had nowhere to go. And I was a convenient stopping point. You were at the high impedance point in the system. And, and that's one of the things uh, when you talk to people about their antenna system, they think the antenna system is that thing in the backyard. No, it's everything in your station, particularly at HF, because you're in the near field for that antenna. And it's going to light up every conductor in your station. And the more you don't want it to work as an antenna, the better it will work as an antenna. And so you wind up chasing hotspots and RFI and all sorts of gremlins around your station and even in your uh, your home entertainment system or computer or whatever. And knowing more about this helps you uh, deal with these problems more effectively. Could it also be a factor in helping to control, uh, say, interference at your station? For example, if you have a, a computer, a desktop computer like I do, uh, you might want to uh, well, bond it to your transceiver. In other words, connect it to your transceiver with a, a nice wire of some sort. I do that, and it seems, not to eliminate, but it seems to lower some of the interference that I pick up from the computer. Right. That's the, the beauty of bonding. And, and bonding seems like a mysterious word, but all it really means um, is to connect two things together so that they, they are at the same voltage. That's it. And what causes RFI is not the voltage, it's the current. And what drives current is a voltage difference between two points. If you can make the voltage difference go away, you also make current flow between those two points go away. So bonding, uh, whether it's a direct connection between the computer and the radio, or whether you use um, a reference plane of sheet metal like I recommend in the book, or if you use the classic piece of pipe behind the uh, station, uh, the station desk, as is in the handbook and every other book back to 1930, um, the idea is to connect everything together so that it stays at the same voltage. Now, that voltage will probably not be the mystical zero because um, you're in the near field of the antenna and all this, it might go up and down, but everything is going to go up and down together. And I emphasize that in my presentations on the subject. It's like a floating dock um, out in the lake or, or the ocean. You want that dock to go up and down as the waves come in so that all the boats and the dock and everything else go up and down together. And you don't get one end of the dock going up or one boat going up and the other one down so that they break loose from the dock and chaos ensues in the ham station as everything goes up and down together um, the voltage stays the same you don't have current flowing uh, around in your station as much as you used to 
And so that reduces hot spots. It reduces the current, the common mode current that flows between pieces of equipment and gets into your low-level audio or your digital signals or USB or keyboards or whatever. So if you can keep everything at the same voltage through bonding, whether it's grounded or not, um, then you can minimize the current flow between the various pieces and that reduces problems. Think about an airplane, for example. I don't see any of them dragging a chain or connected to a ground rod, (laughs) but all the electronics seems to work just fine. And they do that by, by mounting everything in these, this metal uh, enclosure and the racks and everything, and everything's bonded together. So it's all the same voltage. You do not want current flowing around between the different pieces of equipment, except inside the cables. You don't want that common mode stuff. So by bonding things together, it all goes up and down together. Whatever that voltage is, it's going to be the same, and that keeps you from having problems. Sticking with the computer example just for a moment, um, what if somebody says, Ward, well, my station computer already has a USB cable that connects to my transceiver. Isn't that sufficient? No, it's not really. USB is not the USB cables are not designed to be sufficiently robust to act as a bonding conductor when we're talking about an amateur radio station where you might have 100 watts or uh, 1,500 watts of power radiating from a nearby antenna. They also don't work well as bonding for lightning protection. So you have to go above and beyond just the straight connection between these two digital interfaces. And I'm glad you mentioned USB because USB ports um, are not really well protected with um, lightning uh, quality transient um, transient devices. And um, they, will, they will suffer if you get nearby lightning strikes. So bonding and grounding in the station, particularly with all these low-level data interfaces that we have, digital or analog, um, it takes on additional importance. So you really need to know about that. Absolutely. Well, getting to the second edition of your book, and for people who probably don't even have the first edition yet, but what is new in the second edition? Well, I got lots of correspondence after the first edition came out. Uh, Many requests for presentations. There are some that have been recorded online, um, and everybody has unique circumstances. The book is not a cookbook for every possible circumstance where if you follow A, B, C, D, E, your problems are solved. It's more of a toolbox approach. So all of this correspondence and the questions that people ask at the presentations, um, basically, I tried to incorporate that into the second edition. There were a lot of questions about, well, gee, my AC service is on the other side of the house from the radio station. Um, what can I do? I'm on the second floor. What can I do? My feed lines come in through the attic. Um, what can I do with my tower? It's right next to the house. Or how far away can my tower or mast be um, from the house before I still have to bond it together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all these different questions were filtered and accommodated. And wherever I could in the second edition, I would uh, beef up the diagrams or the directions to accommodate that. There was a lot of interest in upper floor stations. I'm sitting in one right now talking to you. Um, There's no way for me to run 
any kind of a conductor outside the house to the ground uh, that's going to be short enough to be effective at RF and for the upper frequencies of, of lightning. So what do you do? So there's a lot of material about upper floor stations. There's a lot of interest in what's called a single point ground panel, um, where you create a common connection between your lightning protection and your safety uh, protection so that there's this this reference voltage that keeps everything tied together so that all of your protective components act together and at the same time. So there's a lot more discussion about that. Mobile and portable stations are really increasing in popularity. Well, what do you do uh, for bonding? Obviously, you can't ground a uh, mobile station, but what do you do? Um, the RF um, RF in the shack is really bad in mobile situations because you're in the antenna. You're sitting in the yes. antenna ground. So um, I've had more uh, RF burns in a mobile situation than anything. And then, of course, there's field day and parks on the air and all this kind of thing. So we talk about that. Um, also, AC power safety got beefed up more discussion about the fine points. There were some questions that were raised by various professionals and people trying to build a station. So we try to incorporate some of that. There's a whole new section on transient suppression and the various components and uh, the use of ferrite chokes to control RF common mode current. And then basically we spiffed up and added uh, diagrams to be more clear where there was a possibility of confusion. The only way to find out uh, whether people understand the material is to put it out there. So we got a lot of uh, feedback on that. And uh, there's been some enhancements, some supplemental information. There's been occasionally <coughs> an error uh, here and there. Um, and that's been uh, that's been corrected. So Not you uh, no, well, uh, everybody else. Yeah. You know. Anyway, uh, if you if you want to learn something, teach it. Um, so I got to really thank my reviewers, um, Ron Block, NR2B and Jim Brown, K9YC and Dale Svetnoff, WA9E and A and uh, WA0BSW, the ARL staff, uh, Bruce, uh, K3 uh, YYV uh, or YVV. I never get his call right. Anyway, uh, those guys all looked at the material. They gave me advice, uh, just very, very helpful with their backgrounds to correct misunderstandings and whatnot that I had. So uh, they're the ones that really made this um, the best. This sounds like a huge revision. It wasn't just uh, an issue of correcting some, uh, you know, glitches in printing or something. This is <laughs> not quite a new book, but it seems like it approaches that. Well, a three-hour tour, yeah. Um, I, the start was I was going to incorporate some of the stuff I'd gotten from the presentations and whatnot, and then opened up the conversation with all the reviewers. And, well, things took off from there. So, yes, there was a lot more uh, work than I anticipated to begin with, but the book is the better for it. This book is available from the ARRL online store, and I think also Amazon, if I'm not mistaken, and from a number of amateur radio dealers around the country. Is that correct? Wherever amateur radio books are sold, yes. <laughs> well, Ward, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, by the time uh, listeners hear this, we'll uh, be coming up within a couple of weeks of Christmas. So uh, perhaps for mm -hmm. the holiday season, it would make a worthwhile gift. 
there you go. You can get a ground rod in your uh, your holiday sock. Uh, you know, a Christmas <laughs> present is good thing. Santa brought me a roll of flashing. Yes, excellent. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of copper going into the Christmas socks this year. Yeah, have a have a ground rod just wrapped up with wrapping paper and stuck under the tree. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? What would really be great. One thing that you get involved with these these projects and um, you, you know, you're rebuilding stuff and you're putting in all these different things. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself a professional quality crimping tool. Oh yeah. You put on your crimp terminals and go out and buy an assortment. Get all this stuff together and have it on hand so you do the right thing with the right tool with the right terminals and you have the materials right there. So um, you'll never regret it. Perfect. Thanks again, Ward. Okay, Steve. Glad to talk to you. Have fun. 73s. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.